This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave, of course, in the uh, Piney Woods of North Central Florida, God's country. Uh, Mellon Law Studio, Crime Prevention Protected, uh, 24-7, 365. You might want to check them out. Get a doorbell camera, if nothing else, at cpss.net so you know who's ringing your chimes. Um, we really uh, are anticipating a moment here, Ted Yoho signing on. Uh, he's out of town, and uh, we're going to link up with him in about four or five minutes and um, look forward to having our conversation with him on Wednesday. Uh, and today is, of course, Wednesday, and uh, we are also um, working today with the, um, well, the aftermath of um, DeSantis's Governor DeSantis's State of the State Address, which has got all the liberals all shook up and the Democrats worried, and, and um, you know, if nothing else, uh, we'll go through some of that today. It's, uh, it's a real courageous stand by DeSantis, and he's very articulate. He writes his stuff himself, and he uh, knows what he's about, and he knows what needs to be done. And I think he's the type of guy that really lets the chips there after fall where they may, uh, because he has uh, tested the um, direction of the wind or the temperature of the water, whatever analogy you want to use, and determined that this is where we need to be uh, as a state and really as a nation. Um, So... Of course, the liberals are trying to cast this as all him using Florida to uh, springboard into the Nash of the national platform. He's never mentioned that himself. Um, they have even noted such things as when he speaks now, he doesn't speak in front of the Florida flag. He speaks in front of the USA flag and then trying to make a big deal out of that. Um, it's really uh, all He's living, let's put it this way, living rent-free in the minds of the liberals, and their knees are chattering. They don't really have a good opponent, although I don't want for a moment to even assume. we gotta, we got to be honest about this. Uh, this um, Joe Biden has been around the political block a long, long time. In fact, he is the political block. He was born, raised, and... Uh, grew up and all the above in politics in D.C. So I'm going to say something that I really think is so. He's got very keen political instincts. This guy, you don't, you know, the popular, the popular discussion is that he doesn't know what he's doing. And, you know, of course he is older and this and that, but that's not the point. The point is, he knows how politics is done. He has to. He's been a product of it. He's lived in it. Listen, when there was war, he was for war. When there was peace, he was for peace. He knows that the politician is like a weather vane. He never really has a firm position or he'll get voted out. So he takes the position of that the wind says he should be taking. And therefore, you have to measure the political instincts of DeSantis the same way. His political instincts seem to be very keen. He understands that there is a pushback, growing pushback, against the woke, if you will, agenda. And he is going after it step by step, point by point, and addressing it. And I would argue that his political instincts are very keen. He knows what resonates with people, what's on their minds, and how to articulate it. 
Biden, you know, you gotta you gotta give credit where credit's due. This guy has been around there forever. Never had a real job, as we say. Uh, never had a, a anything that he of his own capital that he risked. But meanwhile, has profited personally, obviously, from this, and has found his way simply by hanging around and being there when he was needed, being the team player and playing the game the way it's to be played. Now the president, God, imagine that, God forbid. And not only that, but actually working on um, being the president again. So uh, it's it's really kind of an interesting deal we've got here. And of course, throw in Trump. Uh, they consider Trump to be uh, someone who is just stumbling around and doesn't have any of the political acumen that these other people have. And in a way, they're right. He he went there and he learned, if you will, uh, politics by the seat of his pants. And because he was a popular president, though, popular vote and that kind of thing, uh, he was a threat from the very beginning because he was an outsider to the world uh, that gave birth to Biden. Now, you, Obama was not an outsider to the political process. On the contrary, he was very much involved in it as a community organizer. And he learned his way around from some really radical people like Bill Ayers, the weatherman. And don't forget that preacher uh, that he sat in the church pews listening to, uh, that man who used the a God word and then the damn word to damn America. This is basically uh, where Obama got his moral kind of instruction in that church. There's no secret about it, but you never hear about that anymore. It never comes up anymore. It's not something that is mentioned, but it is that which carved out, no doubt about it, much of his vision. And as uh, we've discussed with Ted Yoho, whom we're waiting to have check in with us, um, many a time, the uh, uh, purpose Obama set out to do was fundamentally change America. And, uh, hey, there's another kind of scenario could happen here. They don't have anybody if they get uh, Biden kind of dismantled. And they're talking about Michelle Obama. You know, I don't... Think about that. It's not out of the realm of possibility. And, 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 you know, that would lead to incredible kinds of scenarios, would it not? We would have an endless extension of this woke agenda. We'd have an endless extension of this uh, um, you know, fundamentally changing America. I see Ted has checked on and, uh, Good morning, sir. Looks like you're comfortable where you are. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I uh, just got back so I could get on. Sorry to be late. Well, you're looking good. You're in a hotel somewhere. It must be D.C., huh? <laughs> yeah, I'm up in D.C. Yeah. Well, we were just talking before you checked on about uh, what I used as a title for today's show, and I know you'll be able to right away talk about this, is uh, – the state of the state, which was the uh, media presentation of DeSantis's speech, and um, <clears throat> talking about um, um, the state of the state by this governor, whom he says America should be like Florida, is really a confrontation, if you will, very articulate, very well thought out um, to the woke agenda and the uh, purpose of Obama that you and I have discussed, which was to fundamentally change America. Ted, it seems to me that DeSantis is fundamentally going to re-change America, and that means going after Obama's vision of America, because as you and I have discussed, Biden's vision is Obama's vision, and it's going to be quite simple. Yeah. I'll, 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 I'll let you take it up from there, sir. 
No, it is. And, uh, you know, people, I mean, if you just go back to what he said, um, five days for the inauguration, we're going to fundamentally transform America over five days. But then look at what has happened since then. Look at how, and I, I remember him saying affirmative action needs to go away. We need to do away with it because it did, it did not do enough for equity. Um, um, you know, then they bring in uh, white privilege, they bring in uh, systemic racism, they bring all these things in that really is a Clower Pivens or Saul Alinsky or Karl Marx uh, agenda of dividing and conquering. If you can split up the population from being Americans, we're all Americans. If you can start breaking that up into subcategories, um, then you can start putting one side against the other. The Democrats are masterful at this. And Obama, you know, being a community organizer from Chicago, he was masterful about that. And uh, Biden is a puppet. He's not smart enough to do these things on his own. He's the one that they put at the helm. Um, and, you know, he's the one that looks like he's driving the ship, but he's just standing there. He's like the, the captain on the love boat, you know, except where this boat's going, it's not about love. It's about transforming this country. And, you know, you, know, you look at the progressive squad, um, uh, the progressive caucus, you look at the people in charge of that, and they are, they are. Th- there's no doubt in my mind they're Marxists. And I'm hearing that language used up here more by, by Republicans and even some reporters. And their ideal state would be Venezuela. Um, they want something, they want this socialist u- utopia, but in reality, if people are in charge, they're money hungry, there's power hungry, and they're going to form an authoritarian state. And uh, this is where America is going. If we do not wake up, if we do not get somebody that can articulate a clear message and just say, you know what, we're not participating in wokeism. We're not participating in Black Lives Matter um, or or, or the, this agenda against America's um, uh, racist policies. And I like the words of Morgan Freeman. He goes, if you want to get away from talking about race or the, the racial questions, stop talking about it. Let's just go back to what we would, I guess, call norm, normalcy. Uh, if you can uh, get a definition, definition of that. But I think it, if you go back a little bit in time, you know, we knew who we were as Americans and men who knew, knew who they were. And there was, there will always be gay people. There are always gay people. But tell children today that you can be a man or a woman, you know, whatever. Those are lies. Those are not truth. And so I think the Americans, you know, the, the people that feel like us, they just want to go back to, you know, honoring your country, you know, and feeling good about America. Right now, I don't think people feel good about America. The way I look at it, too, like, yeah, the, the way I look at it, too, is... Uh, Without community, you don't have a sense of place. And if you don't have a sense of place, you can't build values. And this open border business, I was just reading in the journal a moment ago, pouring now in through Canada um, and not just the southern border, but um, is eroding a sense of of, uh, place. And it's ironic that if we're so bad a country, why do these people want in it so badly? Um, <laughs> you know, this has been uh, horribly botched in terms of the bottom line. We should be having a, in my humble opinion, correct me if I'm wrong, a systematic approach to immigration so that we value the immigration and have people value coming here. You know, whatever you get for nothing, you don't appreciate. We had an old joke in education, Ted. Uh, whatever you get uh, 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 for free, you don't appreciate. And education is the only thing you uh, never take back if you get a bad product. That was our kind of a joke from the inside guys right. I worked with who had some sense. You know, everybody takes everything back at the store if the product's no good, but they don't take back their education. And, and the reason the product's no good when you take it back to the store, it was built poorly. I mean, it falls apart or, you know, you're disappointed in what you got. But <laughs> we've dismantled education as well and, and taken the structure out of it and the value out of it. Therefore, we need a leader who will come in. And this, I think, is why DeSantis is so alluring to so many people. Uh, 
you know where you stand with him. He's not duplicitous. You know, he's not playing games with you. And he's got the courage to say so. What's your take on that? You're in the belly of the beast there right now. What do they think about it? You know, it's funny because a reporter came up to me last night, and I don't generally talk to those people, especially now, uh, because they get so much wrong. But he was asking me about DeSantis. But before I go there, you know, you were talking about we should have a systematic order of people coming in the country. We do. We have it. I mean, we have the laws on the book. They're just not being enforced. In fact, with uh, previous administrations um, prior to Trump, they just kind of had this lackadaisical approach about, well, their immigrants are coming from these poor countries, war-torn countries. You know, that's all fine and dandy, but there is a systematic way of bringing people in, registering them, you know, who came in, and, um, you know, there has to be that way. But with this administration, uh, it is the worst in our nation's history of just open borders, letting people come in, and as you mentioned, the the Canadian border just is just as porous. The, the media is not up there. Uh, maybe they'll go up there in the summer when it warms up. Um, so it's user friendly. But, you know, this is a national emergency. Um, it really is. When you talk about the threat of uh, diseases or drugs coming in, fentanyl coming in, and um, we have those systematic uh, policies in place for people to come in properly. But if you don't enforce them, you might as well not have them. It's that adage, you know, um, you talk to people, well, well, you know how to read? Yeah, well, what do you read? Well, I don't like to read. Well, if you don't like to read, you really don't know how to read, you know, because you're not gaining anything by that knowledge you have. Um, and so going to DeSantis, I think he is a breath of fresh air. He's very articulate. He's very smart. And this uh, reporter was pushing me to, you know, try to get me to say something bad about him. I said, Ron's a very smart, a very articulate person, and he's very focused. And I said, he he has done an amazing job in our state, um, much to a lot of people's surprise, including mine, because I did not see that in him. Um, But when you write a book before you get into Congress, and then you write another one, and you start articulating, and your message changes from a Florida message to a national message, I think he's setting himself up to announce, and I would be surprised if he doesn't announce within the next six months, um, uh, six months to the first of the year. And, you know, I think he's going to gain that headwind, uh, staying out of the media blitz and, you know, the Trump, you know, going against Trump right now. You know, I think President Trump, uh, I think we all agree, and we've talked about the good things he did, but it's the the negative that he brings to himself that I think are just turning people away and they're going to be looking for somebody. You're going to see Pompeo get in the race. You'll see um, uh, that you know, that entrepreneur got into the race, uh, Nikki Haley's in, and uh, there may be one or two other people that get in, but I think DeSantis will be the one that kind of comes out above that. I think the smart thing he did among a lot of things that he's done is he wrote a book and now he has a reason to go around the country and not go around the country running for president, but to go right, around the right. country promoting the book. And the particularly message in a vision for America. And that's what we don't have that. I mean, we don't have anybody that's articulated a vision for America. I remember Ronald Reagan did. Uh, I can't say any of the Bushes did. Um, Clinton certainly didn't. Um, Obama it was to change America. You know, it was fundamentally flawed. Of course it is, because people were in it. You know, it's going to be that way. But it was a good system that's stood the test of time for quite a while, and it's it's on the precipice of failing if we do not wake up in this country and elect the right piece of people. And it's not just the president. It's the people in the House. It's the people in the Senate um, that are going to change the face of these uh, uh, the bureaucracy up here. And, you know, I met with some people yesterday. They talked about the budget. They're talking about some of the cuts. I don't want to say cuts, but the reduction in spending. Um, And going back to the 2019 levels of spending, which was terrible at the time, but compared to today, it is tremendously better. And they had taken it to the speaker, and he said, there's no way we can bounce a budget within 10 years. 
which to me is a defeatist attitude because if you're saying it's not possible, then you're not going to put any effort into it. You know, you've got to think things are possible so that you can work on it. And if you only got halfway there, we the next generations would be so much better off than they are today. Yes, I think he's doing a good thing by promoting the book. And the book yeah. promotes him. And it also right. identifies the issues for the country. And, you know, we, know, we agree that Trump was really, in, uh, you know, did a lot of things that certainly needed to be done, basically to confront the deep state. But he's not sure. a writer, uh, and therefore he's been, uh, re- you know, presenting it by talking. And it's uh, basically tied to his personality, which is shaky. I mean, they've had, let's fit a minute. The, the left has done a very good job of making him damaged goods. And, and oh, yeah. it's, it's unfortunate, but they, and I want to get to that in just a moment in terms of this January 6th thing, because from, you know, we know from the time he came down the, uh, just the step, whatever, the escalator, whatever, until right now, they have been p- pounding away to damage him. And I think they've been successful, uh, enough to even people who like him say, geez, I like him, but I'm just, cons- I'm scared that he, he won't, it's not the right fit now. So, how is it going over up there, if, if best you can tell, with uh, the Speaker um, of the House releasing all of the video to Fox? This is the big furor right now. Uh, what's your take on there? You know, I was surprised that Kevin did that. Um, I, I would have thought you would have let it out to everybody. Of course, if you leave it out, let it out to everybody, you're going to have the people on the left, the CNNs, MSNBC, they're going to slice and dice us to disprove whatever Tucker Carlson's doing on Fox. Um, to be honest, I haven't heard much talk about that up here. Um, you know, for two years, it was all the January 6th hearing and Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. And this is definitely going to discredit them. The people that have talked about it said there's a whole nother story that's getting ready to come out on what happened on January 6th. I was up here that day and I was on the outskirts. I wasn't involved in the protest, but I had watched it, you know, from the sidelines and the people I saw 90 plus 95% of them were just, you know, everyday Americans that were just up here um, supporting president Trump and not real happy with the election outcome. And they're still out there. Those people are still out there. And uh, uh, it'll be interesting. And if I hear any more about what's going on on that, I'll let you know. Uh, I know they're going to have investigations on that. Um, and you and I have talked about investigations. You know, it's one thing to do investigations, but if you're not going to do anything about the information you, you gain, um, then don't don't waste our time and, and money. Um, but I've heard some other things that are interesting. I can't talk about them right now, but you're going to be hearing some uh, uh, some very, th- very good things coming out about um, this administration. Action things. Action things. You're talking about the Congress. Correct. Yeah, yeah. About when you say administration, not Biden. Not, yeah, not Biden. Well, it's... Yeah. Uh, no, it'll be about Biden. Oh, okay. There'll be action things directed oh, I got you, I got you. Well, you know, the other thing that has uh, been interesting, and I'll get your take on this, is the rejection of the watering down of law and order by even Schumer. <laughs> what do you make of that? I think, he, I think he had to, because I think, here's the way I read that, Ted. The pendulum is swinging back. There are too many no. regular people, Democrats as well, and particularly women, who are afraid to go shopping. Now, when the they're, women they're are afraid to go Democratic shopping... Huh? Yeah. No, I, I heard that. I read that, and you know, I turn. I don't watch the news, you know, but I turned it on this morning. I had to iron my own shirt, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but just in that ten minutes that the news was on, I think there were six shootings in the D.C. area last night. Um, really, a couple people were dead. A couple people are in the hospital. They're looking for some of the people that have shot. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, you know. I live in Wheelacca, Florida, and I don't. The only thing that gets shot might be a stray dog or cat or something. I don't know, but it's 
you just don't have that down there. And um, up here, it's just a way of life. And, and it's a shame because one of the guys that was doing the shooting was in jail and he broke out of his jail um, and he was arrested on carjacking. And the D.C. law up here wants to decriminalize carjacking. It's and, crazy. Uh, crazy. It, it's just absolutely nonsense. And so Schumer now, they're getting all this blowback. And so now the Senate's going to um, hopefully vote. And the president will sign uh, this law uh, um, stripping these, uh, the metro area of D.C. Um, of this law that they put in that was decriminalizing a lot of this. And the Senate and the House are saying, uh-uh, we're going to revoke your law. That's why they shouldn't get saved. That's kind of amazing, really. But it shows you, um, I was talking about it, I think, before you checked on, Um I'm, I've come to believe that uh, we don't give Biden enough credit for having pretty keen political instincts. Uh, right. Biden, I mean, you go back and examine the man. When there was war, he was for war. When there was peace, he was for peace. He survived by being a professional D.C. politician. And he's just been a team player. He's been there when he was needed. He waited his time to get in the lineup. And when they finally needed him, why he got to play. Now, he might not have been the best guy on the bench, but he was the only guy on the bench that had any knowledge of how the game was played. And so he stepped right in and performed adequately. And um, he is shrewd enough, I guess. I mean, I'm giving him credit here by saying up front, hey, I'm going to sign that bill, you know, well, you know what that does to the people who are thinking he's out of it and they don't want to have him at the helm? They have to step back just for a second and say, oh, my golly, he and I agree. You know, I'm saying I'm chalking that up to Biden's keen political instincts. He says he's going to run for president. Well, he's probably deduced that he can't kind of catch the prevailing winds if he sides with carjacking. <laughs> you get me? <laughs> I tell you, he, he knows how to survive that political world, as you pointed out. And, you know, that's the sign of a politician. You know, they worry about their next election. They want to stay in power. They want that lifestyle. Um, the true statesman, you know, it's damn the, damn the election or damn the torpedoes. We're going to do what's right and what needs to be done. And there's very few people up here willing to do that. Um, I met some of them yesterday and we talked. And uh, like I said, they're going to they're going to be releasing stuff here probably in the next two to three months. And uh, we can talk about it then. Um, uh, and it'll be good to see what what comes of that when it gets released. But then how what happens after that? Because people are going to have to choose a side. Um, you know, are you are you? Uh, are going to prove what's been going on? Are you going to come against that? And, um, you know, it'll be interesting when this does come out. And, and I look forward to talking to that day and it'll be, you know, it's going to be directed at the administration. And like you said, this guy, the Biden has learned how to play that political game. He's very astute at it. You know, the other thing that before we go on our weather break here is, um, I think DeSantis has, a good measure of that political instinct ability. But he's better at articulating it and being credible. You know, when Biden does these things, you think it's just for expediency or political gain for him and his his base. But with DeSantis, I get a different feeling. You know, when we get back from a break, maybe you can compare him when as you saw him then and as you see him now, because here's the, here's the thing that so many, there are people out there who have these absolutes. We have some of them watching the show, for example. They want the world to run according to them. You know, it ain't going to run according to them because they're such a small part of the whole community in their position. And they, the problem with them is they don't ever become a little flexible, you know? 
You don't have to give up all those values you stand for, but you have to become pretty shrewd about articulating them and selling them. You're not going to beat people into believing them. And this is what I think DeSantis has got. He's he, he's not going to pound your head into this syrup if you don't get it, you know? Right. And, and, well, and, no, I think you're right on that. And I think parenting is, is a good uh, precursor to being in politics because, you know, your kids are going to have their own opinions. And when they start talking back and they become a person and not your child anymore, uh, you've got to change how you think because you're not in charge like you used to think. And, and I think that's what Ron has done. There is a saying up here in, in politics. Um, so many times I would be so adamant. And I was one of those hard headed people. And this was my stand and I would not vary. And they said, Ted, I agree 100 percent with you. I agree with you. But this is not the, the battle to die on the hill. This is not the hill to die on. Yeah, I got you. you, know, yeah. you want to survive. And, um, you know, I just never, never really bought into that. But I understand it now better. But I still don't believe it because you're you're putting off till tomorrow so that you can fight stronger, hopefully. But I think if you fight strong today, you'll nip it in the bud. And, uh, you know, it's just I think Ron's learned to play that. He, he, Ron never he never uh, weighed in on contentious issues. You know, he was he just kind of didn't really speak a whole lot about it. And he was more moderate on a lot of those things. You know, he was a founding member of the Freedom Caucus, and we can talk about that someday in my philosophy, how that formed and why it formed. Um, and, he, uh, he was a member he was, of it? He, he, he uh, was a member of it? Was he Was he a member of it? Yeah, he was one of the founding members of it. Of the Freedom Caucus? Yeah, uh, yeah but, you know, he never came out very vocal against anything that was contentious. And, you know, that's playing that political game. You know, you stay out of the fray. You stay out of the, the limelight in those fights. And um, he got very, very good being on Fox News. And, of course, President Trump endorsed him early on. And, uh, uh, you know, the rest is history. Um, but you got to give Ron credit where he is now. You know, he went so large in, in Florida in areas that Biden won very strong in uh, 2020. And then you saw what Ron did, and it's it's amazing where he is now. Well, Ted, you're going to take a break here for the on the hour weather here. And when we get back on the weather, I'm going to talk about something that really sticks in my crawl, and that's the change of time again coming up. My God, I just got used to the time, and now I got to change the time. I got a little rap I'm going to get into about that. I'm, I'm going to rant a little bit about daylight saving are you, time. Are you going to be rapping? Yeah, I'm going to rap and rant. Yeah, here we go. We're going to take a break now, now, right now for the weather. We'll be right back. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said 
is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. All right, welcome back live to the Ward Scott Files here. We're going to do Ward's weather report, compliments of Lewis Oil. Chevron stations, stop and fill up. Don't buy into those doggone stupid electric cars that have cost us more fossil fuel than the fossil fuel. It's 64 degrees right now, according to my calculations. It's a little bit cooler here today. Going to nudge right up near 80. And uh, I think California is beginning finally to dig out, although they can't even find cars out there that are covered up in snow so much. But what really is getting my uh, irking me right now is that uh, we're getting ready to change the time again. And um, there's a pretty interesting analysis of this by Alan Juhas. And uh, I ran across it, thought I'd share it with you. I didn't know this, and I'm learning a lot of things. But since 2007, the uh, change of time has taken place on the second Sunday of March, uh, when the clock spring forward an hour, and the first Sunday of November when they go back, okay? So in 2023, that's going to be March 12th and uh, November 5. So, but that's not the end of the story. In Britain, France, and Germany, the clocks change on the last Sunday in March and the last Sunday in October. So we got to take that into consideration. Uh, it's um, really uh, a strange situation when you think about time. Uh, the idea originally... Uh, uh, was and the farmers get the blame for this is the idea to move an hour of daylight from the early morning to the evening so that you could make more use of the daylight. Uh, ben Franklin gets the credit for this, uh, suggesting it, but um, uh, he realized he was wasting a lot of time staying in bed as a story. Um, but over the next hundred years, the Industrial Revolution laid the groundwork to actually put this into government policy. Um, from much of the 1800s, uh, time was set according to the sun. And that's still the way I tell where we are here at Windy Hill Farm. Um, I've got a tree line, and I can see what the month is by seeing the sun on that tree line. I can also tell you the weather by the wind. I can also tell you the weather by the smell. I can smell rain coming. I can also tell you the weather by watching the birds. I've become a fantastic bird watcher. There is a constant battle going on for control of airspace, and it's generally dominated by the fighter team of the crow. The crow runs off the hawk. It's amazing. So there's a lot to learn, but we're not in natural world, most people. We're in an industrial world, so we need to have some sort of way of telling time uh, that is decided on such thing as time zones and uh, all that kind of business. So time has been fashioned for the industrial world and now the federal government took control of it as far back as 1918. So uh, energy savings was the argument President Nixon used in 1974 when he signed in the law the Emergency Daylight Saving Time Energy Conservation Act. What a mouthful in the midst of a fuel crisis. Uh, uh, you, you go figure. Um, it is uh, in October 20. 22, the Mexican Senate sent its presence a bill to end daylight saving time for most of the country. So what's up with that? And um, we have got the Academy, American Academy of Sleep Medicine calling for the entire abol abol uh, abolition of daylight saving time. You go figure. I got to tell you, make up your mind. Make a decision and leave it alone. But, you know, who listens to me? Right, Ted? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, if you and I were in charge, this would all be handled. We'd had the world straightened out in a heartbeat, man. I can think four or five things we'd do right away. Um, you know, I was thinking about this and I was uh, 
uh, talking to some people about it. You know, one of the things that's made um, it difficult to control crime, and I'm going to have a show on this, is um, there's no sense of community. And the reason you have to have a community is that so that you can shame people if they misbehave. You know, you can be embarrassed by your friends in the community. And this is the thing that was always explained to me, Ted, by the old, old country people. A day's travel before the motor car was basically at most 25 miles by horse. And if you look at the towns here in my surrounding area, yours here in Delancho County, the towns are uh, 10 miles apart. So if you went from High Springs to Newberry, 10 miles down, 10 miles back, that's about a day's travel. So you had a community. But when the motor car came, it enabled you to go hundreds of miles in one day and break up community. And therefore, you had a criminal able to go quite a ways away, rob a bank and escape back. And nobody in his community knew it. And that is fundamentally without a sense of place. There's no way to have any common kinds of rules of behavior is my thesis for today. Um, And that's where we are. We've got abstraction all over the place. We've got porous borders, north and south. No respect for community. No respect for sense of place. Therefore, we've got no law and order. Uh, I'll end my little soapbox with that. I agree. And when you when you get communities that go from you know when I was in Minnesota as a kid, I think our county had ten thousand people in it. You know, everybody knew pretty much everybody on your block. You had people on the block that would hold you accountable to tell your parents or. You went downtown, you know, as a kid, you rode your bicycle and you did something bad. It was at home by the time you got there, your parents knew about it. And as these communities get bigger and bigger, you get to a point where, you know, you look at Alachua County, what do we have, 250, pushing 300,000 maybe, you know, depending on what uh, semester it is. And you, you just can't know everybody. And then you look at the congressional district. We have roughly 750,000 people in our district. There's no way you can know everybody. And I don't know, um, you know, if we need to change our uh, districting maps and then maybe add another tier in there between, like, your U.S. representative and have somebody that represents each county that they coordinate with the representative so you get a better sense of what's going on in there so that you can stay focused on local politics you know, at a national level, those things that are going to affect you. Um, but I agree with you. We've lost community, um, and that that stuff that pulls us together. And then you take a federal government that divides our nation by diluting, you know, the population that you have, and they bring in all these outside people that have never been, and they don't know the American culture. They just come here, and, uh, you know, it dilutes it that much more. It's, you know, it, it just adds to the problem. I'm with Ted Yoho today, and he's actually speaking with us from D.C. He can't get it out of his system for some reason. Uh, <laughs> he's going to tell us the secret of why one of these days when he can. But I know he's up to something, or he wouldn't be going up there all the time. <laughs> you don't have to answer that question, Ted. <laughs> but we've been discussing such things as uh, uh, the January 6th, another vision of that coming out, of course. And it's called all sorts of hoopla. And it's a way in which now is giving them an opportunity. This is where I kind of wonder about uh, Kevin McCarthy's wisdom. It's given the left a, a, an opportunity to tee off on old Fox News. They hate Fox News. Fox News has been a thorn in their side uh, because it comes out and is antithetical to all the CNNs and the MSNBCs and all that stuff. And uh, you don't get much news off the ABCs and the NBCs. You get a it's amazing what they think is news, by the way, you know, and how they present it. I've just watched it deteriorate over the years. Ted, I can remember when we first had a big issue with the news on black and white TV. Um, yeah. It went from, do you remember this, from 15 minutes to a half hour. Yeah. And that was a big moment in the presentation of the news. And it was done by Cronkite and these guys, Eric Severide. Uh, these people whom we kind of trusted. Uh, Looking back on it, uh, Cronkite wasn't all that trustworthy when you look back on his reportage of the Vietnam War. Um, 
But this endless news cycle thing, do you? I, I think it came into uh, with Ted Koppel and the Iranian hostage crisis. Do you recall that? And we came up with a show I'm called sure Nightline. Nightline. Nightline and CNN came on the twenty four seven. That really changed, you know, the the awareness of people. And I think they were more pure back then. I don't think they were the, the political slant or the political agenda that's thrown in there. But they sure gravitated away from that now. I mean, all you got to do is turn on Fox and you hear one side and you turn on the other people and you hear another side. And somewhere in between, I'm sure the truth is, uh, you know, and I think, you know, so many people today, they don't know what truth is. They don't have the trust in the government. You know, you look at Fauci and the CDC and all that. Uh, it's hard to have that faith in, in our system. And I, I know a lot of people are jaded and the, you know, I go through moments too, but I still believe we're, we're in the best country on the planet, and uh, you know, we've got the best system. We're just going through some growing pains, and we need we need a, a strong national leader that can bring people together um, in all groups. You know, as Americans, you know, not hyphenated Americans. We're all Americans, and we're all in this together. And so let's work together on that. Well, it's um, definitely on the, the minds of the people. We'll find out as as, as uh, as we um, head out here into this election season, which never seems to end, by the way, it seems it's become more and more of a continuous uh, stream of consciousness, if you will. Uh, there's no beginning and end to it. And it's, uh, you know, even now, you know, we're two two years out, what, from a presidential uh, kind of uh, vote. And um, already we got talk about people and they already are jumping into these things. Um, yeah. You know, well, you know, it's amazing up here. It's, it's just constant fundraising. Um, you know, I don't do any of that. I don't, I've been asked to fundraise for people. I said, no, I didn't like to fundraise for myself. I'll be damned if I'm going to do it for somebody else. Um, but it's just, I see congressmen going into townhouses, coming out. You know, they're going in just constantly going back and forth. And, you know, they go over there because there's a gathering. You know, funders will be there and they're giving, uh, and donors will be there and they're picking up checks and, you know, they do their five minutes of speak and then they get a, a campaign contribution. And it's constantly, I mean, it's just, it's going on 24 7, it seems like, you know. Um, and I wish they put that much focus on our budget or on the border and these things that really need to happen. But it's all about the next election for a lot of these people. And there's some good people up here that are really statesmen, but um, they're far and few in between. You know, Ted, uh, I mean, I was. Uh course, a college professor and uh, one of the ones who was not uh, uh, what you might think of woke. now. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, you woke. Things, pardon me. Huh? I was not you woke. I woke. didn't know what the heck woke. Well, you know, like I woke up every morning. Yeah, I woke up every morning, you know. But uh, the original concept of this democracy by the Greeks was very interesting. I studied this for a while in classical literature. Uh, you know, this idea of being uh, a government representative. You were picked by lottery, and uh, right. therefore uh, you required every. The education became very important to everybody because you could be a leader, and therefore it behooved us to really educate everybody because who knew but what you'd be in government, and you couldn't stay. You were picked by lottery. You won, and you went and led, and then you know you got replaced, and the next person was uh, uh, elected by lottery. And you couldn't have a professional politician. Uh, we are so far, I've, I've often just wondered, you know, how far what you talk about right now. You know, I've run for office and I hated that fundraising thing. Absolutely hated it. And uh, didn't want to do it if it was a way not to do it. But unfortunately, it's all about your brand, as you know. If you don't get that money and you don't get your marketability and you get don't get out there and get your three minute or one minute or whatever, and your mail outs and all that stuff, nobody knows you. And, uh, you know, you know, right. it's amazing. It's just amazing how much that gets involved in it. So um, we're a long way from that. And we're getting, it's getting worse and worse, if you will, because of the tremendous profit that media makes off it. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. A tremendous profit. Yeah, yeah 10, you got that, that, like that. 
you've got the professional fundraisers that are out there doing that. And I know, I know somebody that represents your area that they have professional fundraisers. They've got uh, media consultants. They've got all these people that teach them how to raise more funds. And, you know, you'll see messages going out at the first of the month. We're behind on our fundraising goal. And it's like, well, you know, you should set a better goal. Um, you know, but they make it sound like it's your fault because you didn't send any money in. And, uh, you know, we just, I just never played that game. Uh, and I wish more people would, but they think that's the only way you can survive up here. And we've proven that's, you don't have to do it that way. Um, you know, focus on your issues and work your district and, you know, let people know there that you're there. Um, uh, you're talking about Biden, how he has been a survivor in the political world. You know, I look at our current Speaker of the House and I see the same thing. Here's a person, if you read his history, where he came from, you got to wonder, what has he accomplished? Well, you know, if he's the Speaker of the House, that's a huge accomplishment. And it's like you're talking about with Biden, you know, you've got longevity. If you can survive the political game up here long enough, usually you'll raise to the one of the top positions. And, uh, you know, uh, I worry about people like that because I, you wonder what their their, their uh, real calling is or why are they here? What's their purpose? What are they trying to accomplish? And uh, if it's running this country more efficiently, uh, I don't see that happening. Well, it's unfortunately not going to be any different for any time soon, I don't think. Uh, even at the local level, at the local level, it's still, um, unless you get very, very local, and there's less and less very, very local because, as you say, these municipal governments get bigger and bigger, uh, about 300,000 in the Alachua County, um, probably at least half of which is Gainesville. Um, wouldn't you think? But there's a reason Alachua County acts that way or the Gainesville City Commission acts that way. That's right, right. That's, 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 yeah, that's, that's a 1947 uh, UFO landing that created the genetic material you know, landed right there by the Lake of the Stupids. Some people call it Lake Alice. I call it Lake of the Stupids. And it landed, obviously, right there. I'm sorry, Ted, it did. And it created all these um, these uh, characters that are now calling themselves leaders. Um, one of the things that will be very interesting, and I see where Chuck Clemens has now introduced yet again a uh, bill in the legislature. And this may happen because it's going to be the legislature is going to vote on it and not the people here locally. And that is to take uh, uh, have the governor appoint a board to to control GRU. Um, boy, I'm hoping that goes through. I don't have GRU here in the country, but buddy, I'm telling you, that will shake their world because they're going to stop being able to use that as a cash cow, you would think. What are they, $1.3 billion in debt, GRU? And, and, you know, I lived in Gainesville since, when did I come up here, 77. They were arguing GRU back then that it should be taken out of the control of the city commissioner because they don't know anything about energy and they hire this person and that person, but they keep control over it, they being the city commission, and they don't know how to. So that argument has been going on for, well, since, say, 1980. So that's, what, 40 years, uh, 43 years they've been arguing about who should control GRU. And I applaud Chuck Clemens for bringing that up because – you know, the city commission can't run that. I mean, any more than I could fly an airplane right now. And, uh, you know, you wouldn't want me to be your pilot in a, in a plane. Well, it's been the um, way in which they've paid for their ideological pursuits, sure. uh, none of which is, uh, has, has been rooted in reality. Um, <laughs> but, it, but you say they paid, they borrowed because they're $1.3 billion in debt. The, the taxpayers of Alachua County are Gainesville, I guess. And, um, yeah, what a mess. What a mess. Well, you know, being a veterinarian, I think you'd be like, you like this story. This occurred while you're in D.C. Um, you know, they've, um, first of all, they've gone through these um, fits of indecision about what to do about the canine dog. Uh, what, as you know, canine dogs, very well trained. Uh, and what, sure. one of the things that people don't know is that private businesses buy those dogs for the law and order organizations. And they, uh, sure, do. they sure do. They buy them. And and they're about six grand a dog, I, I think. So to get to one that's yeah. properly uh, temperament for this kind of work. And so, you know, the finally the chief here, Lonnie Scott, the current chief, he's always musical chairs, said, okay, we're going to put the canines back out there. And then the a city manager who controls the police department, of course, 
says, oh, no, we can't do that. We've got to listen to all these groups complain, uh, hear their input. Well, that's going to open the door to all the, you know, the crazies who have a, uh, don't know a darn thing about uh, uh, the, the re- relationship of dogs to law and order, but they're going to get their they're going to get their day. But the this is this is a sad story. There was a GPD officer who was bitten by a a, a person's pit bull yesterday, and how oh, was there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and wow. uh, you know, and a lot of these guys carry. You know this that a lot of these guys have these pit bulls in their yards. Um, Particularly in the tough crime areas, um, the, the, the you know you can't really figure out whether they're good guys or bad guys. They all got their pit bull, and um, you know that yeah you know what that dog can be. It can also be you know trained properly. It's okay, like your other, but they come with powerful, as you know, powerful jaws and uh, powerful dog, powerful, powerful dog. So anyway, yeah. the, that's made the news here that uh, yeah we don't have any. Canines biting fugitives, but we have fugitives dogs biting cops. Uh, you know, crazy. It's crazy stuff. Well, you know, you brought up something there about how the people are coming out against these dogs. You know, it's inhumane, or you know, you're putting this dog in all the stress and all that thing. And so you're going to have people on both sides of that. Um, you were talking about GRU. You know, how long have they been talking about fixing that? Uh, one of my pet peeves up here is a. Uh, Bureau of Land Management, the Wild Horse and Bureau Act of 1974 and 1976. I don't know if you and I have talked about that, but the Bureau of Land Management was tasked to have 27,000 wild horses and burrows on federal lands out west. Well, there's over 200,000. It's unsustainable. Uh, We're paying over a billion dollars maintain these wild horses on ranches where farmers are feeding them and i think they're getting close to 50 dollars a day per head really american taxpayers money really? and there's a common sense solution to this but they have been arguing this since probably 1980 to get these numbers down the common sense solution is castration you sell some and you, you, you euthanize the other ones the reason is um, there's so many horses out there in burrows that they have decimated the ground. So one of the, the pieces of proper, one of the plants out there is the, the sagebrush. All right, the sagebrush is habitat for the sage grouse. The sage grouse is now endangered because of the uh, depletion of the sagebrush that the horses are causing. And, and so it's just a circle, but when you try to depopulate the the, the uh, the herd, these people come out of the woodwork and it's like, oh, you, they shoot horses, don't they? And, you know, they go crazy and they, they want to adopt these horses. That was a disaster because I had to work on a lot of those horses that got adopted and those horses had never been corralled. And people that had never owned a horse were getting these free horses from BLM. Uh, and it was, like I said, it was a disaster. And so there's a common sense approach to it. That government really needs to come in and say, this is what we're going to do, and let people get mad, but then do it. And then, you know, they'll, they'll move on and we'll have these things manual. But we're spending billions of dollars to maintain these wild horses, which is not indigenous to the United States. And then we're spending billions of dollars to rehabilitate, rehabilitate the sagebrush and the sage grouse. And it just, it's, it's just, it, it drives you crazy because there's a simple solution and it's kind of like our border. We have ways to control that, but do you have the political willpower to do it? Because if you do, you're going to get voted out and see, that's where the politicians come in because they're going to say, Oh, we're going to, we believe in tournaments or we're going to uh, secure the border. But when it comes time to it, they don't want to be the person saying, well, yeah, I prevented these people from immigrating or, we got rid of the wild horses because there was too many of them. It's it's that's crazy. A great, that's a good that's a that's a good good story to end on. We got uh, and that goes in the, the food stamp program that goes in farming oh, program. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah, national defense. I mean, it just is this education. I mean, you pick a program in healthcare, uh, it just goes on and on and on. It's just yeah. it's crazy. But there will be a reckoning. Well, on that note, we'll have to conclude our show today. We appreciate Ted dropping in with us. He's in D.C. and uh, uh, chatting with us. And, uh, of course, it's always interesting to hear uh, what 
he has to say because he is right there in uh, D.C. today, and uh, he's got some surprises for us he can't tell us about. He's promised he'll tell us on the show when it's time, and he can. And when we'll it comes out, you'll know about it. And I, I think there'll be good things. It's, it'll be contentious, but it's something that needs to happen. You know, somebody has to have the backbone to do it. And I talked to the person, and he has the backbone. So Sounds great. Boy, you've got us a cliffhanger. we got a cliffhanger to end on. Thanks so much, Ted. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And Warthog Command Center out. Have a great day. Thanks for having me on. Bye. Bye.